Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. I'm the host of this broadcast. Thank you for joining me today. The pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, has actually focused a lot of attention on what happens in workplaces and at home, in and around food. Why? Well, the, the virus can live on certain services for a period of time, and it's caused an escalation in anxiety amongst people who are either shopping or they're accepting deliveries that are contactless, but there may be a chance of the virus sitting on there, and that has been a concern. Today I've got Dr Julian Cox, an Associate Professor in an interesting area of food microbiology, joining me for a discussion about this. Hopefully we can ease some of your concerns and also provide some ideas about how you might be able to deal with issues at home and what you may have to do in a workplace like a bank or a corporate where you've got communal eating facilities. Julian, thanks for joining me today. It's lovely to be with you, Tom. Very happy to join you on one of your podcasts. Now, what do you actually do? Because food microbiology is an interesting field. Uh, and many people won't precisely know what it entails. Can you describe it briefly for us before we get on to talking about the coronavirus? Well, you're absolutely right, Tom. It's uh, it's a fascinating field and one that's kept me uh, enthralled, excited, I guess, in a job uh, for um, around 30 years. Uh, food microbiology, uh, as the name implies, is dealing with tiny organisms, microscopic organisms, uh, associated with food. Now, microorganisms can be um, involved with food and impact us really in, in three main ways. Uh, one is, of course, that they can grow in foods and change that food for the worse, so they can spoil food, and, and that leads to food waste. Um, the, the other negative aspect, of course, is where organisms are in the food just as contaminants or they're able to grow in food. And that food then becomes hazardous and we ingest those organisms or the, the toxins they produce and they cause illness. And we typically describe that as food poisoning. But of course, it's also important to realise that microorganisms also can play a very positive role. And so we can use organisms to ferment food, to increase the variety, the diversity of food that we have available to us as consumers. So milk to yogurt, uh, grains to beer or bread and so forth. Um, and organisms can also serve as sources of ingredients to help us in um, industrial processes such as uh, the use of flavours um, or colours uh, that can be used in food. So there's an amazing array of ways in which organisms can, can impact us as, as humans and the foods and beverages we consume. And again, that's consumed me for, for nearly 30 years as a, as a profession. What is the, what, what, what's your principal area of research in the area? How did you get hooked onto the topic? It's an interesting question because if I, if I look back, I guess I saw the spectrum of microbiology, uh, but gravitated very much towards food microbiology because I, I saw in myself maybe a greater interest and more direct application. And in fact, that really came through in the, the latter part of my, uh, my bachelor's degree 
um, when I had the chance to, to start working on uh, dairy microbiology. Uh, and that led to my PhD, which, which was actually on the microbiology of goat's milk and its uh, spoilage. And I guess um, that really was the launching pad for my career because it really exposed me to industry across the board through primary production. So actually being on the farm uh, to processing, to actually um, looking at how um, that commodity was, was treated and then looking at the microbiological aspects of those processes. Um, so I became very quickly this applied microbiologist that wanted to work in and with the food industry. Uh, and I went from working uh, with, with goat milk and, and more broadly the dairy industry to the egg and poultry industry. And I guess uh, very broadly uh, throughout my career, I've been very interested in assisting uh, the food industry um, in various contexts to improve the safety and quality of, uh, of the products. Look at how we can manage or intervene through the food chain um, to make food safer and of higher quality. Um, and related to that, I've also done a lot of work um, in relation to diagnostic tools, to actually uh, kits and systems that allow us to test food more reliably and faster, again, uh, with the aim of improving the ability to increase the safety and quality of those food products. That's rather interesting. Now we can pivot to the topic at hand. It's caused everyone a great deal of anxiety and consternation. Uh, not so long ago, you there was a piece that uh, you and, and others uh, released uh, related to the coronavirus and the implications that it has for food handling at home. Uh, what are the critical things that you think people need to keep in mind in relation to uh, the food handling issues at home uh, in the first instance? Well, Tom, I don't think much has really changed in the sense of the the right sort of practices for food safety. Uh, Many of the things that we do to uh, in the home or elsewhere to try and ensure that uh, the food we ingest is safe also uh, go a long way to keeping us safe or lowering the risk around uh, COVID-19. Uh, so, for example, uh, cleanliness, making sure that we, we clean down uh, the area in which we're preparing food and in particular those surfaces that are going to have direct contact with the food. Now, if we think of a kitchen bench the where we're going to prepare food, if we're bringing bags home from the supermarket that might possibly have been in contact with a virus infected surface and therefore those bags are contaminated, if we put those bags down on the bench, there is a very, very low but still a risk that, um, that virus might be present uh, and, and transferred from those bags to that, that bench. Now, if we don't clean that bench down after we finish putting the groceries away, there is a possibility that we can cross-contaminate food or ourselves with that virus. Um, so if we go to the trouble after removing those bags of cleaning the bench down as we would if we were going to prepare food at any other time, then of course we reduce or mitigate or even eliminate any, any risk that's there. So, you know, that's one very, very good example. Um, the other, of course, is around our personal and food hygiene, things like washing hands. You know, um, if we're handling raw foods, uh, let's say a raw chicken, 
Um, it's always good practice uh, to then, after we've handled that, that food that has a, a risk of carrying bad bugs, that we wash our hands before we handle other foods and certainly before we um, touch our, our own surfaces. Now, of course, if we're washing our hands well as we've been instructed, then we're doing the right thing around uh, COVID-19 and the virus as well. Again, the, the idea that we might have somehow picked up the virus on our hands from, from contact surfaces, we want to make sure we wash our hands so that that virus has no chance then of getting in, in contact with the most uh, vulnerable of our surfaces, that is the eyes, nose and mouth. Uh, so again, good personal and food hygiene around things like hand washing. And then finally, one of the things that always impacts uh, food safety, uh, time and temperature control. Uh, now we know that, that good cooking, especially for high risk foods is important to render them safe. Now, of course, this virus, like um, many viruses, quite temperature sensitive. So again, if we're heating foods well, even if somehow that food has become contaminated with the virus, then uh, we can eliminate it with um, a simple cooking process. So uh, once again, in summary, the idea that um, there are a range of important processes for general good food and personal hygiene when dealing with food, and they translate very well into mitigating risk when it comes to COVID-19. I think there's also some issues that people have raised uh, periodically in recent times about food packaging and any risks in terms of food packaging. So have you done a bit of thinking around that and what people ought to be thinking about when they get packages of food um, uh, from the shops and how to deal with that? Tom, I think you, you're, you're right. I think that is a concern for people. And we know that the, the science has been done and put out there that the virus can survive for a varying length of time on different surfaces from maybe only a few hours, maybe to uh, two to three days, potentially on certain surfaces. Now, um, that could potentially have implications for the transfer of a virus, say, from a commercial environment, say, a a shot to our domestic environment, to the home. But uh, whether that uh, really introduces a significant risk is also an important consideration. You know, how much viral load might there be on a particular surface? How much is transferred? And ultimately, if there is any virus on a surface, the likelihood of transfer to us. Um, so can we say there is no risk? Uh, certainly not. But we would consider generally that the risk of risk of the virus being present and the risk of transfer is very, very low um, in an absolute sense, but also relative to exposure to people carrying the virus, given it's a respiratory virus and respiratory transfer, aerosol transfer. Uh, that's by far typically the way that people contract the virus. Um, and this even comes back to when we're even consuming food, the, the possibility that a virus, the virus even finds its way, say, onto or into food. Um, as we ingest that, um, we chew it up and, and swallow it and as our digestive tract. The likelihood that the virus is going to somehow be able to attach to respiratory surfaces during the process of ingestion and digestion 
again, is considered to be very, very low. So um, while we can't say there is no risk, uh, that risk is real, um, that real risk is probably extremely low. Okay. We've dealt with the sort of domestic issues, and in a sense, if I summarise what you've outlined, it's whatever you've been doing up to this point in terms of keeping your food clean, washing it under a running tap, um, wiping down surfaces when you prepare, wash your hands when you're dealing with different kinds of food to avoid cross-contamination, you should be pretty right in a COVID-19 environment because yeah, your usual methods of hygiene, provided you've been using them, uh, should be sufficient. I think you've summarised that very well, Tom. Uh, again, if you've got good habits, those good habits will stand you in good stead. Um, and I've got to say, to me, the silver lining by people having a greater fear um, around risk of contracting this virus, if that's made them more aware and we've had the chance to communicate more some of these good habits and people then pick up uh, and develop good habits, I think that really is a, a sort of a consolation. It is a silver lining around this, this current situation. There's something else that, that we do need to focus on and that is what happens when we leave our castle the place that we control. Uh, we have our own values at home. We have our own way of doing things and we can manage things uh, reasonably well. When we go into a workplace, we yeah, confront a whole range of people who may or may not have the same values, same things um, in mind when it comes to uh, food hygiene and, and and other other issues that could be political values, social, etc. What are the things we need to keep in mind when we're going into a workplace when things start to shake up a bit? I think it's really timely to to raise that issue, Tom. Um, given that we're now starting to see uh, relaxation of lockdown uh, rules, laws, and that people will be returning to the workplace. And probably thinking about um, almost absent-mindedly, sort of business as usual. I'm, I'm, I'm back. Things are, are back into normal in some ways, or, or perceived that way. Um, and I'll just go back to my usual habits. And I think that, again, potentially is dangerous if people have had bad habits before. Um, they're actually increasing risk due to this this new agent being part of the equation. Whereas, again, if people have had good habits. Um, they're likely to remain um, relatively risk-free in relation to food or beverage uh, transmission of the virus. We still, of course, have the, the risk that we're going to be exposed to colleagues who may be carrying it. And again, through that uh, typical respiratory route of, of transmission. Uh, but when it comes to um, you know food and beverage in, in the workplace, yes, the, the food safety rules still apply. And you're right, there's still... Uh, this, um, it's still confounded somewhat uh, by people having different practices. And we see this, um, anyone who's seen the workplace kitchen and how some people will do the, the right thing in terms of, of cleaning up after themselves and so forth and others won't. Um, we know that there are people who have different, uh, shall we say, food safety values. Um, and that's probably how they operate at home. 
And of course, at home, it might be just themselves or a small number of people. But in a, a busy workplace kitchen, you could be putting, you know, tens of people potentially um, at, at risk. So um, it is important to consider how things will, will change, uh, even in terms of sort of using, uh, let's say, the good old coffee cup. Uh, I guess, you know, there's been a, a wonderful trend towards getting away from disposable cups, um, using go cups or your own, your own cup um, at the, the coffee shop or, or in the, the office kitchen. And that's wonderful from an environmental perspective. But of course, now we have to worry what might be transferred around if someone hasn't cleaned the cup properly. You're asking the, uh, the barista to actually rinse out your, your go cup and there's a, a splash and an aerosol and you've, you're actually infected. Um, that's, I think, a reasonable concern. And so now we're seeing a switch back uh, away from the environmental concern to the, the health concern and people um, using or, or, or shops insisting on providing coffee in takeaway cups rather than uh, go cups or your own mug or whatever it might be, um, just as one example. The uh, the keep cup and coffee run type scenario is interesting, but then you step back and you talk about office rituals. I guess you know things like birthday cakes and and, and other uh, other things that come into play. And do you think some some of those may need to be modified as a result of what we're going we've gone through with the virus? I think we're going to have to have a greater level of consideration or respect for what we're doing, you know, a greater sense of awareness of, of who's around us. Um, and I, I love the example of the birthday cake. I think there's nothing better than some kind of celebration in the workplace, be it a, a birthday or uh, someone's just got a promotion or whatever it might be, uh, that we share cake, some kind of food um, for that collegiality, for that, that team build. You know, fantastic. Uh, of course, the concern comes with having people again in close proximity and try to think about social distancing, because once again, the the, the great risk is around uh, someone who's infected being close enough to transfer um, via aerosols or droplets the virus to other people. Uh, notwithstanding that, of course, when we're um, say uh, doling out the birthday cake, someone slicing it up and putting it onto the plate. We've got to think about not only the food safety issues there generally, but the issues of contamination. Um, again, at the same time, though, the likelihood of transfer of the virus, say, to that cake and then someone becoming infected as they ingest and digest that cake, um, relatively low. But I think I, I don't think there's any harm um, in people thinking about risk in a conservative way and thinking about taking great care in a situation like that. Sometimes people eat at their tables. Sometimes people eat at a communal area. I know that the place I worked at had you know, people had different different practices. There's a little communal area where people would sort of get together and read a newspaper and sort of yell at each other about politics or the latest footy scores and whatever have you, just for a giggle. Uh, 
some of those practices may need to alter as well. Is it, Are there any strategies for that kind of thing that you've got in the back of your mind that, that people might want to think about? I, I think, again, it's it's that greater awareness and respect for our, our colleagues. Now, I, I was thinking, just as you were talking about uh, that scenario, how much I enjoy meeting colleagues over a cup of coffee at my favourite outlet at the university. Um, nothing better. Um, rather than meeting in, a, um, in an office uh, to sit down and share that coffee along with the, uh, the work conversation. Now, um, again, clearly, we won't necessarily know whether um, you're carrying the virus, whether you're, you're asymptomatic. Um, so certainly, can you still do something like that under social distancing rules, not only with the people, uh, personal people you're meeting with, but looking at who's around you and how close they are uh, and the potential for infection? Um, clearly, in terms of the, the, the coffee, if you've kind of got your own coffee, you're not sharing a mug. Although, again, I guess what may have happened in the past, someone might have said, oh, look, would you like a, should we, should we share a piece of cake um, with our coffee? And you might have um, automatically said, yeah, I know you well, look, I'll do that. And of course, now we have to think, um, could that person potentially be uh, infectious and uh, and transfer the virus as they take some of that cake. Um, and again, even though the risk might be very low, uh, it could still be there that the virus is somehow transferred to you. Um, now, we don't want to be too alarmist, but at the same time, I think it is an opportunity for people to really be thinking about good uh, personal and food hygiene, not only in relation to COVID-19, but I think generally. I think it really is an opportunity to, to reflect on on practices and perhaps improve um, what you did before the virus came along. Uh, Julian, I'm very mindful of the time. You've been most generous uh, uh, with me today. What I guess the last question, which is more academically oriented, is what are the research opportunities that will emerge out of uh, the virus pandemic for someone like yourself because there will be there will certainly be uh, things to consider and work on so, so that the community gets a greater understanding of what's happened it's it's it is an interesting question and uh, it actually did come up uh, recently uh, because I as, as a microbiologist a general microbiologist by uh, educational background I'm fascinated by the the virus and its biology. Um, so I did some virology when I was a, an undergraduate student. So there is an interest in the virus itself. But I guess in relation to uh, what I am now as a food microbiologist and thinking about um, application and, and food safety, I guess it's it's two things and they're related. One is, is really to have uh, a greater understanding of just how the virus does um, survive on various surfaces, how it responds to different cleaning agents, how it survives on or in different foods. Um, I think there's still work to be done. And obviously, it's not as high a priority right now as as things like vaccine development. Um, one area that does fascinate me, though, um, is in that area of, of diagnostics. Clearly, we have tests available um, that enable us to test clinically 
uh, for the for the virus or the presence of an immune response. Uh, and I know now there are uh, test systems or kits becoming available for environmental testing. And certainly, I'd like to be uh, involved in something like that to to look at the uh, reliability of test kits or systems that allow us to reliably look at surfaces and the ability of the the virus to reside there and uh, particularly where those kits might be relatively um, simple and hopefully cheap enough that people can employ them uh, to be able to test food contact surfaces um, to to give confidence that those surfaces are are free of the virus Julian, that's a good uh, good point at which to um, end the podcast. I've been talking to Dr. Julian Cox from the University of New South Wales. He's into microbi- food microbiology, and we've been talking about the coronavirus. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. Been a pleasure to talk with you, Tom. Take care. Thank you.